0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 12. Book of Acts, chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church verse 6 now when herod was about to bring him out on that very night peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door was guarding the prison and behold an angel of the lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell he struck peter On the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, "'You are out of your mind.'" But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place.
1: Thank you, Brother Eugene, for reading God's word for us. I want to invite you to keep your finger in that if you have your Bible open uh, because there will be no outline and no riot when I mention that. So we're going to go with this. Um, if those of you who really need to have the steps, it's going to be a real simple outline. We're going to talk about the, the context, which means how do we find the church We're going to be talking about the response, the response of Peter, the response of the church to what was going on, and then we're going to be talking about something ultimate, the outcome, what really matters, what all of us should set our hearts and eyes on, because let's be honest, I'm I'm just talking about myself. We're not always focused on a gospel outcome, which is why we get troubled when bad things happen to good people. Uh, l- let me just share uh, an example of, uh, of this in my own life. So in just three days, Sherry and I are going to be celebrating 37 years of marriage. Yeah, thanks. That means, that means, see, where is she? Oh, she's, she's really getting nervous right now. So that means 9th August is our anniversary. And I said to Sherry, can you believe Singapore loves us this much? I mean, look at them. They're, they're flying flags. They're having a parade. It's all about, you know, they found out it's our anniversary. Now, now, you're laughing because, of course, it's just a ridiculous thing. And some of you are even just a little bit offended that this, you know, Matsale would, would be so self-obsessed that he would think the anniversary, the birthday of this nation would be all about him. Because when you're self-obsessed, which is another way of saying, when you're a bit of an idiot, you're the last one to know. So we can see it in in other people. It's obvious. But when it happens to us, when when something in us is exposed, where, where we suddenly realize, well, I really do expect heaven and earth to order itself for me. And Sherry knows I'm a bit this way because I counted every red light on the way to the church today. I missed 10 lights out of 14. Why? Right? We're surprised when difficulty comes because we expect everything is going to go our way. We we have this unspoken social contract. In every free and open nation, which informs young people, if I work hard and do my best, I am going to do well. In fact, I'm going to do better than my parents did. It's what my father believed. Probably it's what your father believed. But now that contract is starting to erode. People are getting retrenched in this robust economy. And suddenly we're, we're, we're confused. So this is why I love the Word of God. I'm not feeling guilty about this. I'm being comforted because as I read this gospel story, I see that the men and women, even the great heroes of the faith, they were full of faith and yes, also some flaws, just like us. When bad stuff happens, when that job promotion goes to somebody else. When we have the best job interview we've ever had, we call back and they say, oh, oh, we're not hiring. We're disturbed just as the people in this story were disturbed when bad things happen to them. When you embrace a faith in a world that's broken and fallen, broken things happen and things get broken. How does the man and woman of faith respond? How does the church respond when unfortunate things, things beyond our control, come into our lives? Because, you know, I felt it even intensely this week. Because I'm anticipating the joy of re-entering the new building, and yet, as we anticipate that joy, life is happening A family is losing their mother. A dear sister in the faith has a biological sister that's dying. A pastor lost his teenage son. Life happens on this side of the fall. It's not all joy. The question is, how do we respond in it? So here is the context in Acts chapter 12. We see it in verses 1 through 5. This tells us everything we need to know. At that time, that means as the famine was becoming more intense, Herod the king laid hands, not just hands, but violent hands, on some of those who followed and belonged to the church. He killed James. Now, this is a turning point, right? Because, just so you know, this is not the king Herod who killed the innocents. When Jesus was born, this was his grandson, not Herod the Great, but Herod Agrippa. And Herod was a political schemer. He, he became a favorite of the Jewish leadership. In fact, if you read the Talmud today, you will find that the Talmud records some really nice things about Herod. Herod. And and the way Herod engendered affection among the Jewish leaders was he pretended as if he, the king, served their whims. And so by this time, some ten years after Jesus was publicly executed, the early church, the early followers, had been already declared a heretical Jewish sect. And so as you heard, if you followed along with this series, the church was then scattered. And a consequence of the scattering to non-Jewish nations is non-Jews heard this good news and became also followers of this Christ. And so the first wave of persecution was not a Roman persecution. It was a Jewish persecution. And in chapter 12, this persecution ramps up yet another notch. Because Herod killed not just a believer, not just a deacon who went rogue and thought he should be a preacher and then died for good reason, but he began to capture the leadership. And so James, the brother of John, half of the sons of thunder, became the first of the twelve to be publicly executed. And he was executed by this king, Herod Agrippa. And when he saw how much joy that gave the Jewish leaders, he thought, well, then I'll go after the big dog. I'll go after the uncle, Peter. He's the guy that got away. And so here, as we enter into the biblical narrative again, we see that Peter has been captured, it's Passover, and the laws of the Jewish festival meant that no Jewish man could be killed during Passover because it was a celebration of the Passover of death. But here we find him, Peter, sitting in prison, waiting for execution. And what we know is, in verse 5, on that day, he was just waiting. It was the end of Passover. He was waiting for that morning. And that morning, he would be executed. That's a rough context. I know there has been stress in the history of GBC. There has been times when we've even been without a pastor. But there's no time ever when we've had our pastor executed. There's no time ever, I don't think, that we've had a pastor imprisoned. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying I'm pretty sure there's been no time. If that were to happen, that would be a real crisis, right? And, and so we see this at this moment. Peter was kept in prison. That's verse five. But the church was in earnest prayer for him. The Bible doesn't say, the text doesn't tell us what they were praying. All we know is their prayers were earnest. And the verb is consistent prayer, specifically for Peter. Now let's jump to the response. A response we see in verses 6 through 24. And by the way, you can read all of the responses... All the way through the end of the chapter, verse 25, but I just want to focus on two responses. The response of the man of God, full of faith and, yes, let's say it, flaws. And the people of God, full of faith and, yes, flaws. Let's look at how they responded to this crisis. Peter's response we see in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between Two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So just so we we understand this, this is not a normal capture and imprisonment. The, the, The guard around this old man far exceeded what you think would be needed for this individual. This is like first century supermax. Because four squadrons of Roman soldiers were given into this assignment. Guard this man. Four Squadrons, every squadron was four. That means 16. Look at that math I did right in front of everybody. 16 Roman soldiers to guard one man. Occasionally, they would chain a, a prisoner who was quite active and in danger of escape to a soldier. This old guy was chained to two soldiers. Now, there was no way that Herod was going to experience the humiliation of the Sanhedrin. Remember in Acts 5, the Sanhedrin had already arrested Peter once, and he just walked out. And, and the next day, people come to the Sanhedrin and say, you know that guy you arrested? He's back in the temple doing exactly what you told him not to do, preaching about this word. Herod was too sharp for that. Sixteen men, double-chained. And there Peter sat. And, and I just want to say this about this good man, Peter. You know you don't have to preach your belief statement. You, you you don't actually even have to post it on on the website. Because what we believe is communicated in many ways. It's communicated in our posture. Like some of you are communicating your belief system right now. So I, I believe you need an app. Right, so, so and, and some of you are communicating you know, what you believe in. And that is there is something in this word that I need to hear. And, and in his posture, in his darkest night, this is, this is the Apostle Peter was crying out, I believe in the power of these chains. There's no way I'm getting out of this. I believe in the strength of these soldiers. Not taking them on. I believe it's going to be a bad day tomorrow. I need a nap. There he was, not expecting anything except disaster. He had given up. And, and I'll be honest, it takes a lot less than that for me to give up. A few discouraging words. Sherry doesn't like my dress code. I give up. You pick. <laughs> right? So it, it doesn't take much for me, soft as I am, But but Peter was a hardened man, and and he had been in prison before. God had released him, but yet that was not enough for him. He had given up. Now, I'm not judging, right? Please please don't hear that from me. I I feel like that is good news. It's good news for the rest of us. This is why I love God's Word, right? Right? It never tries to talk around trouble. I mean, even if you want to say that's just a, this is just a religious book, like any religious book, maybe, if you want to take it that way, but it's amazing to me when it presents even the heroes of the faith as flawed. If I was writing this, I would fix Peter up a bit. I would like him to be more bold, less impetuous. Say what you think about first. Don't say what you've never thought before in your life. I'd want him to be a better man, but but God's word presents the heroes of the faith just as they are with all of their flaws, and yet somehow they found a way to allow obedience to grow in them. And, And this is this man, Peter, in the middle of this crisis, the apostolic father, who needed a little fertilizer for his faith. And the grace of God in the middle of a darkest night came and brought it. Now here's what I'd like you to see about the response. Because in Peter's response, faith began to fruit out in him. And I know sometimes we think, well, nothing will happen in my life if I just have faith. But there's something we need to have before faith comes. And and here I see this. In verses 7 through 10, God sends him a little fertilizer in the presence of a messenger. Suddenly the cell fills with light. There's a man standing there. And the man gives Peter a wake-up call, a slap in the side. Now now I've I've heard some sermons on this before, and and I've heard the preacher say, Now, I'm sure the the angel was whispering, saying, you know, get up. Don't want to wake up the guards. I'm sure he was not. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that God, when God acts, acts however he wants. And, and that's the problem with me. That was the problem with Peter. As he sat in that dark, dank cell, he could think of no solution that didn't require a lot of effort from an old Jewish fisherman. And, and that's our problem. When difficulties come, when sickness becomes chronic, when grief overwhelms we think of everything humanly possible to solve this issue, this problem, because that's how the culture raised me. My dad used to say, when I whined a little bit, Ian, put on your big boy pants and get on with it. That's an immigrant telling an immigrant son, just try harder. But there's some things trying hard says is not enough. And Peter found one of those things. Hours before his death. And there the angel of the Lord stood. Get up quickly. Now, hear this. I'm going to say this often until we really understand it. Now, faith, you want to have faith? Then embrace obedience. Because obedience is the food that feeds our faith. If you're you're looking for a miracle, don't try more faith because God has given us everything we need. Try more obedience. Notice how this works. The angel of the Lord woke him up. Get up quickly. And then the chains fell off. Now, 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 if it's me, honestly, because I'm probably a little more flawed than Peter, get up quickly. I can't get up quickly. i got chains. Can you see these chains? And, and, and these chains are connected to big guys. I can't get up. Obedience. Even when the command doesn't make sense to you or to me or in this culture, it doesn't make sense in a culture of prison for chains to just drop off. Get up quickly. Some of you say, yes, I, let me pray about that. Because that's a spiritual response we have figured out in order to delay obedience. Get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he what? Did so. Here's a man learning how fruited faith comes. It comes on the back of obedience. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. You know how I know he wasn't prepared. You know, clothing was not just for wearing. Clothing was currency. It was traded. That's that's what the soldiers were doing at the foot of the cross. Jesus had a cloak. It wasn't just his outer garment. It was his bedding. And, and, And Peter had stripped off his bedding because that night, he wasn't planning on going anywhere. The angel had to command him, pick up your cloak, wrap it around you, and now follow me. Obedience, obedience, obedience. And, and here's the amazing thing. Scripture says, he thought he was dreaming. So, so that's a good place to begin. One night, if you're having this brilliant dream, and in your dream, God comes to you, just say yes. Just say I will just get up and follow in your dream or in your open-eyed, real living. Just say yes, because that is how faith is fruited. You see, this is how it happened. Peter didn't expect that he would have rescue without a plan. He didn't expect an escape without his own effort. He assumed he was dreaming. until he realized he wasn't. And then he said, now I know. After obey, 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 now I know, faith blossomed that the Lord has rescued me. But meanwhile, back at the prayer meeting, the church was praying fervently. So Peter finds himself outside on the road the angel's gone. He knows where the prayer meeting is because John Mark's mom was wealthy. She had a big house, a lot of people could gather. So he went directly to the house, knocked on the door, called out, and Rhoda, bless her heart, recognized this is Peter. This is Uncle Peter. She was so excited, she left him at the outer gate, ran in and told the prayer warriors. Who, what were they praying for? I don't know, but it wasn't, please bring Peter out of prison and at this door. And and I felt conviction and comfort as I read that because I realized so often I'm praying the same way. I'm not asking for victory, I'm asking for comfort. Comfort me because this is the outcome I expect. I'm asking for wisdom. How can I counsel people in their grief? Right. They, they, they just couldn't believe it. The ESV says they, they said to her, you're out of your mind. Literally, the Greek word is the word for, in English, that we say maniac. They, they said, you, you're a maniac. Maniac. In the middle of this prayer meeting, this, this commotion was going on. And, and you have to visualize, she, she wasn't just saying it once. She was running back and forth. Because scripture said, they kept telling her, you're a maniac. And, and, and then they jumped back to their cultural Jewish tradition. Oh, that's not Peter. That's his guardian angel. Now, I, I hope I don't ruin you with this, but... The New Testament does not teach that we each have a guardian angel. Am am I wrecking you a little bit right now? um, I mean, if if you do uh, feel some despair that you walked in here with a guardian angel and then the pastor told you you don't actually have one, then, then let me comfort you with the words of the Lord of heaven's armies who said, I will never leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Don't settle for a downgrade. The Lord of heaven's armies will never leave his children nor forsake them. And more than that, if that actually... You know, I'm appealing to the rational people now. If that actually was Peter's guardian angel, if he was at the door, then he had obviously been retrenched. Because a dead guy doesn't need a guardian, Right? No, it's Peter. She was was running back and forth. It is Peter. And and finally, in spite of their prayers, which I'm just assuming were all comfort us, how will we survive? How will we get another elder like Peter has been? Then he shows up because they weren't expecting the unexpected. And and GBC, I, I hope you can hear this from a pastor who loves you. But what worries me about us is we are so capable. When we are gifted, we are tempted to do things like we can. When we're capable, we're tempted to exercise our capability. And then one day we all wake up On the edge of burnout, and we don't realize that we've tried to do everything humanly possible, but have not expected the unexpected. That God would come and do what only He can do. We're looking for a way, we're looking for a root in life, and we've forgotten that He is the way maker. We feel under bondage with the chains of discouragement and and disappointment, forgetting that he's a chain breaker. He does what he does for one outcome. I'm just going to close with this, because this is where the guy who thinks an entire nation's birthday might be about his anniversary gets into trouble. This is where those of us who have entered into these social contracts and that get disappointed when all of creation doesn't line up according to our expectation, this is where we get disappointed. The, the outcome, and this is going to be in, in verse 24. Uh, many years ago, I think it was 1992, Sherry and I had just arrived in Malacca. We, we didn't even have a proper house well, we had a house, but it was just a shell. No, no kitchen, no sink, no toilets. One, one squatty potty, but no other toilets. And um, so I was bundling up all of, all of our laundry and taking it to a little shop downtown Malacca, in the old part of Malacca, where a, a guy did laundry. And I'd done this several weeks and at one point, just to try and make conversation, because I'm a church planter, you know, I have to talk with people in order to find out their spiritual condition. But this guy, it was fairly obvious, because he had a great big god on his counter. So I would put my laundry on the counter right next to the the, the great big god, you know, the Hong Guang Gong, you know, the red-faced god, who, who looks very stern, has a big sword. But this guy was, you know, was in an impossible, you know, kung fu position with that sword, and his face looked fierce, and so he was just making conversation as he was... I had um, taken my, my little piece of paper to pick up my my laundry. I, I said, whoa, you're God so fierce. <laughs> he said, not fierce one, very benevolent. I said, benevolent? We're not be- benevolent. He, he said, you see that big sword? He cuts the customers, they bleed money in my shop. <laughs> and, and just to rub it in, he brings back my laundry, puts it on the counter, and just as I'm putting the money down on the counter, he said, you see, very benevolent. <laughs> so I suddenly realized, well, that, did he just give me that special price that only white guys get? I, I feel like he's taking advantage of me. But listen, we do the same thing. It's kind of a religious contract. Like, let's be honest, nobody serves God for nothing, Right? Like there, there is this perception that everybody chooses a God based upon the benefits of serving that God. You know, God, I worship you, and you make customers bleed money in my shop. God, I worship you, and you help my wife have three boy babies. God, I worship you, and you give me love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, and heaven. We focus. On outcomes that benefit us and not the outcome that God is most concerned about. Why did that angel step down into that dark cell? Is it because he loved Peter? Yes, but was that the ultimate? outcome that God is interested in. You know, years later, this old man would write to a church that was persecuted in even more severe ways. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, now, obviously, that phrase, when his glory is revealed, refers to the second coming. When Christ comes, not as an impoverished teacher, but as the king of glory, obviously it's referring to the second coming. But listen, if God is sovereign, He's not waiting for that day in order to receive glory. When this selfish, self-possessed man fell on his knees and cried out, Dear God, have mercy, I I turn from myself, he received glory. Every time the word of God is embraced, every time the gospel goes out, he receives glory. When the gospel is planted in the hearts of men, when it it takes root in towns and cities and nations, God is glorified. So whenever we, in the middle of a culture that may be hostile, in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of sickness, whenever we specifically direct our plans, whenever we specifically direct our energies towards His sovereign outcome, Christ is glorified. Verse 24 begins with a little conjunction. That English word, but. In other words, In spite of all this, in spite of the fact that the early church was experiencing unexpected hostility, in spite of the fact that things seemed dark and desperate, in spite of all this, the sovereign God was still on his throne. And the evidence of his rule, the word of God, increased and multiplied. That's where his glory is. That's how his people find joy. When we realize we were made for this. Not for a life of ease. Not for the best job we could find. We were made so that the gospel would be increased and multiplied. Why are we moving in two weeks? Is it so the sound gets fixed? Is it so I don't have anxiety? Is it so we don't have to tell our friends how difficult it is to find where we're worshiping? Is it so that we can have a new building? It is so that the gospel can increase and be multiplied. The pattern of the book of Acts is obvious. The author of life is crucified... His followers scatter, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The church was declared a heretical sect, banned in all of Israel, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The brilliant politician Herod, tormentor of the church, was dead at the age of 33, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Grace Baptist Church begins worshiping at an inconvenient time. But the word of God has increased and multiplied. Didn't expect that. I want to invite you to bow with me as we prepare to go to the Lord's table. I wonder if um, you find yourself in this story. I wonder if you would say, yeah, I believe I'm full of faith, but yeah, I'm flawed too. As Jesus shared that last supper with his disciples, every one of those men were flawed. And to everyone, he said, come to the table. So let me just settle this. If you consider yourself an authentic follower of Christ, you might be flawed but you're trying to follow him as best you can, then we invite you to the table. If you're visiting with us and and you're unfamiliar with this Christian tradition of the Lord's Supper, uh, please don't let it feel awkward. Um, Just let the elements pass. Nothing magical is happening. We take this bread, we take this cup as a reminder that he, Jesus Christ, was our suffering lamb who died so that we would not have to who experienced the full wrath of the Father, drank it down, cried, it is finished. We remember him in this meal. The Apostle Paul, who was himself a faithful yet flawed follower of Christ, encourages us, examine our hearts. Like, I, I pray that right, right now you would do some business with God. You don't have to do it with me. I'm not, I'm not your priest. Jesus is your great high priest. In his name, if there is something in your life right now you feel like, it's, I know it's grieved him, uh, it might be a delayed yes. Why, why not just in your heart? speak to the one who hears soul whispers say God forgive me I, I, I want to come to you around, around your table and, and today I recognize flaws I grieve when I shouldn't because I've forgotten the outcome isn't about me so I'm coming back to you now just fill me with a renewed sense of joy Grow obedience in me so that faith may fruit more and more in me. I want to invite those who are coming to help us serve to come and join me at the front as the pastors come. Father God, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. We thank you for the testimony of your word that reminds us that even in the beginning, your saints were not holy because their behavior was perfect. They were holy because of the sacrifice of a savior. So now we sit and stand before you imperfect, but declared justified by the blood of Christ. Father, if there is someone right now who is imperfect because they serve themselves, their own goals, and yet they sense something of you, I pray that today you would, just like that angel gave Peter, give them a wake-up call. Invite them to get up, follow you, so that faith might be germinated in their hearts. Let them know the gift of repentance, of turning from their own ways and turning to you so that you might be glorified. And fill us with confidence that though tomorrow might bring difficulty, in spite of all of this, the gospel will increase, will be multiplied. We bless you for this promise. In Jesus' name. As I already shared, the 12 men were sharing an intimate meal with Jesus on a specific holiday, a holiday that celebrated history when God commanded the Israelite people, look to me, take the perfect lamb that you have found, slaughter him, put his blood on the doorpost. When the death angel comes, he'll pass over you. That is called Jewish Passover. Every month we remember he has passed over. Because of the blood of the perfect lamb, he has passed.